thing one, two, three. Uh, the title of this class is Meantime Moment. We do not have any slides today. Uh, Tony took his laptop with him. We didn't have one or we didn't know and then tried to get uh, the, so- uh, the PowerPoint loaded up and all that good stuff. So we're going to have to use our own imagination like the good old days, you know, when we just did little, you know, finger uh, shadows. Uh, that's right, paper and pencil. But the title of this class is Meantime Moment, which addresses the question, what do you do when there is nothing you can do? What do you do in the meantime? And so what was funny was uh, the people were asking me about how my time was with my daughter, and it was great. My son-in-law is great. And I was so happy you walk away feeling like this one's in a good spot. She picked a really good guy. That was not always the case. She picked a lot of, I think she had two stalkers and one bankruptcy guy. And and I'm like, why do you pick them? And she's like, I just want to fix them. I said, you cannot fix a guy. You can't do it. But she's got a real good situation. It's kind of like when you walk away as a parent, you're like, I am so happy this is one's taken care of. Now, as for these two, they're my meantime moment. You know, they are the ones that, you know, the choices and the situation they're in create a lot of challenges. And for a meantime moment, what we're talking about is it's a new normal, right? It's a new normal. We don't like it. And it's not going to change anytime soon. And we really, as, as followers of Christ, as as, as as Christians, we want to try to figure out, okay, how do I deal with these times when I'm in these meantime moments? And that's what we've been just kind of addressing. And the first thing we looked at is on the foundation is i got to realize that as I'm going through this and I feel like God is angry, apathetic, or absent in my life, the truth is he's not. God loves me, even if it's my fault I'm in this situation. He does love me. And that's the beginning process of learning how to manage this thing called the meantime moment. It's hard because we, we don't feel like He loves us because we're in a bad situation. But it's not based on feelings, it's based on truth. And the truth is, Jesus, God sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins because He loves us. And if God loves you, then He is for you. Okay? If Jesus is willing to die for you, then He is for you. So that's kind of the, the foundation that we laid is you've got to begin at that level. I know I feel like God doesn't love me, but He does love me. He's not absent, apathetic, or angry. The next thing that we looked at was the idea of in this situation there is a purpose and a promise. We looked at the Apostle Paul, the thorn in the flesh. There is a purpose and a promise. The promise is, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The purpose is, we may not know. We may not know until later on. We may not know until we get to heaven. But there is a purpose and a promise with what I am going through. And that's the second step towards healing. The third one that we talked about last week was don't play the blame game. There's something inside of us that says, I got whose fault is it? What am I going to do? I got to blame somebody. Don't go down that road. Jesus says, 
it is better to consider how can I glorify God in this situation is the main focus. How can I glorify God in this situation? Because when I focus on what is wrong, I miss out on all that God has made right. You see what I'm saying? If I focus on just what's wrong, I miss out on all that God has, is, and is doing to make things what? Right. So don't focus on the blame game. Because that does not help. And so those are the three first steps that we kind of look at as, okay, I'm going to learn to manage this thing called my meantime moment. Now, before we begin to the next step, are there any thoughts, comments, or questions? Yes. So his thinking is, God has just kind of left me here on my own. Then I will be personally with God. But in the meantime, I'm on my own. And there are times we feel that way. But I will also encourage you to remember the times we were like, I think God just rescued me out of a bad situation. If you're like me, born and raised in New York City, I am so surprised I'm still alive. Okay? And many of you can think back, I can't believe I survived that situation. God had a hand in it. And we know God had a hand in it because we think, wow, that's really interesting. I can't believe that happened. You know? <clears throat> and we can think back in our lives where God really did have a hand in it. Any other thoughts or questions before we go on to the next point? These have been very good. The next point was originally designed to be the secret of contentment, where Paul talks about, I'm going to tell you the secret of contentment. But then something happened to me. Just as I was preparing the lesson, I had to make a trip to San Diego to see some clients. And I was in San Diego for two years, and it was a great opportunity and experience for me when I was working for Edward Jones, and yet at the same time I was going through my divorce. So there was a men's group that I would always attend. This men's group met every Saturday morning, and there were 50 of us, literally 50 men, getting together to read God's Word and to pray. And it just was like amazing to me, and I loved it. (coughs) So I went down there to visit, and of course, I'm excited. I'm going to go to the men's meeting, and I went to the men's meeting. And as the meeting began, the leader of the meeting said, before we begin our meeting, I want to tell you, for the last four years, I've struggled with depression. And I went, what? He said, yeah, I want you to know I struggle with depression. I've been on medication. I'm trying to get off my medication. And I just need your prayers. And I thought, wow. And then all of a sudden, another guy says, hey, I wanted to let you know I also struggle with depression. And I also, you know, was on medication and I got off of it. And I'm like, what? And a third guy said, listen, I struggle with depression on my medication, and you do not want me off my medication. (laughs) I was like, whoa. And I thought, this is something we don't talk about. Depression. And and, and so it, it, it dawned on me that as we go through the steps of the meantime moment, one of the conversations that we need to have is depression. Right? 
What do you do with depression? How many would agree we need to have that conversation? Yeah. So we're going to start the conversation this morning. And to me, it begins with this simple statement. Depression is normal in a fallen world. Who do you know in the scripture struggled with depression? Who's that? Peter and Paul. Elijah. Absolutely. Remember Elijah? I'm the only one. Nobody else loves you but me. And God goes, I've got, you know, thousands, five hundreds waiting for me over here. Who else struggled with depression? <clears throat> King David did. Absolutely. The death of his son. His, his other son taking over the kingdom. Great. Who else struggled with depression? Job, right? Anybody ever read the book of Job? Oh my gosh. Kill me now. I'm ready to go. Curse God and die. And yet he's, he was like not cursing God, but he was like, God, I don't get this. And I remember when I was talking to some of the guys, they said, well, don't you go through depression? And I said, yeah, but to me, what I'm going through, it's normal for me to go through depression. There are times I've laid in my bed and said, God, take me now. I'm ready. I'm done. I've had it. And this little voice would come down and go, well, I appreciate you giving me permission. Take your life. That's really thoughtful of you. Let me consider that and I'll get back to you. <laughs> right? Depression is normal in a fallen world. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. The book of Hebrews chapter 5. Our Lord and Savior, I believe, also struggled with depression. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. The writer of Hebrews says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. I don't believe he's referring to just the experience in the garden. It says throughout his what? Life. He struggled. Loud cries and tears. And I wonder if the writer of Hebrews, this guy was saying, you know, write this down. He goes, really? You really want me to say that Jesus struggled with fears and doubt? You really? I mean, he's the son of God, Savior. And, and God goes, write it. That's good Bible. It's honest. It's truthful. He struggled with the challenges of life. He struggled tears. I think once on the Mount of Transfiguration, when they told him how he was going to die, he was like, wow. I don't know about this. And I think that had an impact on his life journey. So, it is normal, depression is normal in a fallen world. Now, can you have faith and unbelief in your heart at the same time? 
Do you remember the story of Mark Mark 9? Father comes and says, heal my son, please, if you can. And Jesus says, if I can. And he says, I do believe, but help my what? Unbelief. Now, I say this because we grew up many times in a religion that said it's either one or the other. You can't have both well in your heart at the same time. Not true. Can you be happy and depressed at the same time? Can you love somebody and be very angry with them at the same time? If you have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Okay? What I'm saying is, and re-emphasizing again, that depression is normal in a fallen world. And so for me, you cannot fix normal. You just learn to manage it. That is one thing I really like about Dr. Phil, when I listen to him. I stopped listening to him about three years ago. He's been on for over 20 years now. You cannot fix normal. You just learn how to manage it. And so I wanted to set that as the foundation because a lot of times in our Christian journey we think, well, if you're depressed, it's a lack of faith. Jesus did not lack faith. Job really did not lack faith. Even God said, what Job said about me is right. But we tend to think, well, if I'm depressed, it's a lack of faith. I don't believe in God. No, depression is normal in a fallen world. I just have to learn how to manage it. What causes depression? What do we know about depression today? What do we? We don't know everything. I understand that. But what do we know about depression today? Anger turned inward. Okay, which has a lot to do with how we perceive things, right? So our perception plays a role in dealing with depression. It doesn't eliminate it. It doesn't make it go away. But it does help us to start managing it. And part of good counseling is looking at things from a different perspective. Right? Looking at the situation from a different perspective. And that helps us to manage our feelings. They don't go away, but it helps us. Anyone else? There is no doubt our emotions are affected by chemistry, right? Whether it's the physical chemistry or the food that we eat, the lack of exercise, the lack of sleep, all of that is impacts, affects depression. Now, one of the stories I really like is the story of, of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the reformer, struggled with depression. As a matter of fact, there were times he could not teach. There were times he would just be so depressed and so... Matter of fact, the school even said, take a year off, man. You were just hard to deal with. You just need a break. And one day, Martin Luther came home, and he found his wife in these funeral garments, which typically means when you're dressed in a funeral garment that somebody what? Dying. So he came in, and she goes, oh, it's terrible, it's awful, I cannot believe he's gone. And she's, he's like, who? Who died? And she says, oh, this is awful. I, I just, I, you could not bear the thought of him being gone. He goes, who, woman? Who are you talking about? No, you just don't understand. It's just, it's just horrific. Woman, tell me now, who died? And she said, God died. 
And then he realized what she was kind of saying was, you are walking around life as if God is dead. And he just looked at her and said, woman, you vixed me. (laughs) But she was right. She was just trying to make the point, you're walking around as if God is dead. He's not dead. Now, that did not make all of his depression go away. Okay. But it began that managing process along the way. So we know it's about perception. We know it's impacted by chemistry. And so we also know at times, I am not a doctor. I am not telling you to get off your medicines. I am not. T- Sometimes we need medication, medicine, to help us to begin the process. Okay? And remember, how many remember times where if you even mentioned you are on medication for depression, you were excommunicated? Seriously. Depression is normal in a fallen world. Now, whether you get on, get off, how you manage it is your own personal journey. But as long as it starts preparing you to use your mind and thoughts and start managing your thoughts and your decisions and your focus. But it really begins with depression is normal in a fallen world. And we just have to learn to manage it. Does that make sense? Any thoughts or comments on that? I know it's a big topic, but I just thought we needed to just at least get it out in the open. And don't say, well, just get over it. Right? Because life, there's something like we will never, ever get over it. Because it's part of the fallen world, especially when it's someone that we love is gone. Every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, every birthday, every situation, a song, a smell, and we remember. Right? Or remember a tragedy of something that was done to us. And we just have to learn to to manage it. But it begins with accepting the reality that depression is normal in a fallen world. There's nothing wrong with you in that regard. Yes? And nine times out of ten, it gets worse before it gets better. But that's being human, right? (laughs) It's the same with sin. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Or recovery. Or dealing with it. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And I love that prayer. Remember the prayer, God help me. To, to control the things I can control and let go of the things I can and understand the difference between the two. And that is so true. But that, you know, it takes somebody to come to us and say, let that go. You can't control that. Okay? Very good. But the, the point is, a lot of times religion says, hey, if you're a faithful Christian, you won't struggle with depression. Not true. The lo- and the only the longer you live, yeah, that's right. I have a uh, client in a nursing home. She's uh, probably late nineties and two mar- three marriages and just she's had a good life. But you know she's got a lot of physical ailments. So every morning she wakes up, looks around, and goes, "Darn, I'm still here." <laughs> she wants to go home, right? 
She wants to go home and who can blame her? But at the same time, why God? You know, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? And we go through those questions. But remember, God loves me. He's not absent, apathetic, or angry. There's a purpose and a promise. Don't play the blame game. And I understand if you're depressed. Depression is normal in a vulnerable. So what are we supposed to do with our tears? What are we supposed to do with our feelings? Turn, if you would, to the book of Psalms, chapter 126. Psalms 126. We don't know for sure who wrote this psalm. It's a short psalm. But it's very interesting as it relates to dealing with our sorrows. Psalms 126. In verse 1. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. That, then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. So it's kind of giving the impression these were the exiles coming back from Babylon and they have visions and dreams like when you're in your early 20s and you're like, we're going to conquer the world. Everything's great. Everything's tremendous. And then he goes on. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the give. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping Carrying seed to the sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. It's like, hmm, interesting. He's describing tears, sorrows, hard times, kind of like you invest them and watch them grow. I want to talk about that for a moment. First point he's kind of making is tears are normal in this world. Right? There's no mention of repentance here. That they had to repent of something. It was as if it's just, it's just normal. Being a person of faith might cause us to weep more. Do you find that to be true? Being a follower of Christ, being a person of faith, sometimes we weep more than other people. Why is that? You allow yourself to be involved. You see the damage and the hurt when other people don't see it. When they make bad choices. So as a matter of fact, as a follower of Christ, I may go through depression more than the normal person because I see more. I understand more. It hurts more because I care more. He says, expect tears. There's a myth that if I'm a Christian, and I'm a good Christian, and God won't let anything bad happen to me. Remember? Remember those days when you're young? Woohoo! God's on my side. I can do anything through Him. It gives me strength. Now I'm depressed. 
But yet, as a Christian, you will find that you will deal more with tears, not less. Jesus was known as a man of sorrows. Isaiah, right? A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. That wasn't just at the cross. That was throughout his life. He knew the sufferings of our humanity. He experienced it so he can be a faithful high priest. Here's the challenge. If you do not expect tears, if you do not expect depression from time to time, then you will be depressed about two things. You'll be depressed about your bad situation, right? Or your circumstance. And then what's the other thing you'll be depressed about? Being depressed. Something is wrong with me. I'm a Christian. I'm depressed. And it is that second one that causes and breaks most people to quit on God. Well, I guess I'm not worthy to be a Christian. I'm out. Because my salvation is not based on grace. It's based on what I do. And since it's based on what I do, I can't do it because I'm not good enough because I'm doubting. I have some doubt in my heart. Therefore, I can't be a faithful Christian. Because we're raised in an environment that salvation was based on what you do, not based on what God has done for you. And it's that second one that breaks a lot of people. And we've seen it because they thought, if I'm a Christian, I can't get depressed. And now we're wiser. We realize, hey, depression's normal in a fallen world. I just have to learn to manage it and not make bad choices when I'm in it. And if I make a bad choice when I'm in it, don't make another bad choice. You can stop making bad choices once you learn how to manage it. Does that make sense? So the writer says, beginning, he says, expect tears. It's normal. Yes. That's an excellent point. We come to the elders and the ministers like, fix this! And we, they're like, I'm not God. I can't fix this. You know? And it's true. But here's what we can do. Let me take you to somebody that has fixed it. His name is Jesus. Let me just sit, have you sit down with him and spend time with him. And he'll help you to understand. He'll help you to realize. And as a matter of fact, when you're alone in your room... He can be there with you. When you're in your grieving closet, and some people, I know people who have a grieving closet, they went into the closet just to pour out their tears. He'll be there with you. I can't be everywhere with you, but he can. That's why our job is to take people to Jesus, Christians and non-Christians, everyone, take them to Christ and leave them there and let them work it out. Right? That's our job. But you should expect tears in this world. You should expect them. Next point he makes. He says invest them. He's describing tears like sowing seed. Now, I know being a financial advisor, people come to me, all right, here's my ten bucks, make it grow to a million. Here's my money, make it grow quick. Investing is a slow growth process, right? You don't just water it and then, you know, poof, it pops up. 
but you invest your tears. Meaning you make, give them a purpose in that regard. And so when he's talking about investing tears, he begins by saying, don't avoid tears, plant them. Don't avoid them, but plant them. Now, as a man, my job has always been to avoid them. Right? I, you know, I started avoiding them until I was taking this medicine that gave me too much estrogen. I could not figure out why I was crying so much and where was this coming from. I was crying at movies. Like, why am I crying at movies? I never cry at movies. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, your estrogen's too high. I said, what the heck are you doing? What are you giving me? And they're like, you know, and I said, that's it. I'm done with that medicine. But if you avoid tears, that does not develop the character that you need. See, there are people that are joyful because they're avoiding the tears, right? But that joy does not develop character. That joy develops more of a self-righteousness and a stubbornness. But there is a joy that comes when you invest your tears and you go through the situation and you come out a better person on the other side. Does that make sense? Because I know in our society, you know, just don't show emotions. Don't, you know, just don't get depressed. Don't you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. Make it work. You know, stop wallowing in this. Now I'm going to go through it. I'm going to cry over it. But I'm going to invest it. I'm going to want to see something better produced. I'm not going to waste my tears. I'm going to invest it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, For the temporary, for, for our, the joy set before us from the, no, let's go read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I got three different scriptures going on, man. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We all know this one. In verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, we fix our eyes not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When you invest your tears, when you make them purposeful, it will produce joy in the end. Right? I don't know how many times I wanted to give up on my kids. Because, you know, I adopted three kids at 12, 9, and 7 because I thought parenting can't be that hard. And I remember this voice saying, this is why, you know, God leaves you ignorant so you do the right thing. Because <laughs> if you knew everything, you wouldn't do it. And to walk away this week and knowing for my daughter, those tears were worth it. And let me tell you, there were a lot of them. Okay? But I didn't wallow in it. I didn't try to avoid it and pretend joy. I tried to invest them by deepening the relationship, working. When I wanted to quit, I would go back to it. You know, I was investing my tears in that regard. And for that situation, now i got two other kids and an ex and a dog that chews drywall and, 
you know, I got all this stuff. So don't waste them. And, and really, really don't avoid them. There is a joy, and I was an avoidance, man. I was, you know, I didn't want to feel the depression or the feel the, you know, so I was, I'm happy because God is so good. And I'm not going to feel bad. But because I did that, it disconnected me from certain relationships. Instead of deepening it, then you, I, now I'm like, I feel your pain because I've been there. And it builds a connection. That's why God does oppose the proud and gives grace to who? The humble. God, I need you. And that's the last one. Expect tears, invest tears. The last one is pray your tears. Pray it out. Raw emotion. Thank you, God, for this day. You know, everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's good. You're good. I'm good. Thank you. Amen. No, God, this sucks. I don't like it. Help me. Pray your raw tears. Now, Max Lucado has a whole series, and I've done a whole series on on prayer. What he did was he went through the whole Bible, and he wanted to see was there a pattern in prayer through everyone's prayer. And he came up with a four-step pattern, and I looked at that pattern, and I'm like, man, he's right. I need this. And so I did a lot of study on this. There's a whole class series on it, but let me give you the gist of it. I know we don't have the overhead, but let's see if we can get it. Most prayers, 90% of all prayers in the Bible start with God is good. Most start God is good. God, you are so good. Then it typically leads to God, I need help. I need help. And the help he defines as I need healing. That's the H. I need encouragement. That's the E. I need leadership. I need you to lead me, God. I don't know what to do. That's the L. And the P, I need pardon. I need forgiveness. I need your mercy and your grace. H-E-L-P. Help. Encouragement, leadership, pardon. He says that there's usually all of those elements are in a prayer. And then he says, so he starts with, God, you are good. God, I need your help. And then he says, and so do they. Same H, right? Help. And I thought, now that's true. How many times has God help me help them? Help me. I need your help, but so do they. <clears throat> and then at the very end, he says, thank you. Regardless of the situation, just thank you. And I looked at that and I thought, nah, I love that. I love how that just flows. And so I've used that in my own prayer life. Especially when I don't know what to say or what to do. God, let me start with your good. And let me always start my prayers with your good. But God, I need your help. This sucks. God, I need your help. I don't know what to do. God, I'm afraid. God, I'm depressed. God, I'm angry. 
heal me, encourage me, lead me, forgive me, pardon me. And oh yeah, so do they. The people at work, my boss, he's not even a Christian. God help him because I'm just, I'm about ready to walk out the door. Thank you. Thank you that you're here with me to deal with this. Thank you that you allow me the opportunity to grow through this. Thank you that you've already took care of the big stuff. Salvation, death, burial, and resurrection took care of all the big stuff. The death and everything else. Thank you. And then, just like our Lord did, stand up. God, you told me, no, you're not going to fix it the way I want you to fix it. Okay. Let's go. And move on. Thoughts, comments, questions. Sounds easy, doesn't it? (laughs) But in any relationship, it takes work. It takes work. Because God always says, I'll be here tomorrow when you're ready. I'll be here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving. God, have you left yet? Nope, still here. God, can you leave for a few minutes? I want to do something. Nope, still here. Ninety percent is just listen. Right? Listen and ask what I call really good questions. Not dumb questions, but good questions. Like, what are you afraid of? What do you want to accomplish? What's hindering you from accomplishing that? Rather than, let me tell you what you need to do. Right here, it says, you just need to repent. I know, it means change your thinking, but how do I change my thinking? I don't know. How do I change my perception? The more you open up internally your own hurts and pains, the easier it is to help others. Does that make sense? Because let me tell you, how I help people now is a lot different. How I help people going through a divorce now is a lot different than where it was 10 years ago when I wasn't going through that. But because I was willing to open myself up to the struggles, the pains, the heartache. How I deal with my own health issues is a lot different today now that I'm open up to the fact that I, you know, Jesus is not coming before I die. This really sucks. I really don't want to experience death. Is there a way out of this? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? The more you are honest with yourself, the more you can ask the kind of questions that help somebody get out of it. What are you afraid of? Do you think God has dealt with that issue? Have you taken it to God? Have you, ta- have you prayed about it? No, because I can't start a prayer with God is good. All right, well, just start wherever you start. Sometimes there's two of you just start praying and listening. But a lot of it is listening and asking helpful questions. H-E-L-P. Healing, encouragement, leadership, pardon. Good question. Anyone else? Any other questions or thoughts? Yes.
It is. It is. And what we're going to see and we're going to learn in class as time goes on, especially near the last class, there's going to come a time where you're going to look around and somebody else who struggles with the same struggle you're, and you kind of look at each other and you know. So the key is develop a relationship with similar people that have been through it and gotten over it. Those are the ones, because not everyone here can relate to every situation. I can't relate to kids who struggle with drugs because I never took them. I don't know. So if they come to me and say, this, I'm depressed because I'm struggling with drugs, and I just go, well, just stop it. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Just stop it. But somebody who has struggled with drugs, who's been through it, who's been there, they put them to the side and just sit them down and says, well, are you sick of it yet? you got to get to this point, and then you got to, and then, yes, you will relapse, and that, 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 that. And we're going to get to that later on, that there is kind of a healing process when you're on towards the other side of the meantime moment, where you realize, wow, I can take my pain and I can help people with it. I didn't think I could help anyone through this situation, but I can. And that's what we're going to find out. But in the meantime, let's have a community where people can be honest. Now, here's the deal. There are people that have come up to me and shared some stuff, and I'm like, look, I can't. This is overload. I can't handle this. Let's respect other people's boundaries that can't handle some of this stuff, but they will be able to handle other things. That's why we need a large community, not just a small community where everyone's exactly alike. We need diversity so that there's diverse people who have overcome diverse problems so that people can look around and go, I need to talk to you because I heard you share a problem and I got the same problem. And I'd like to talk about it. Yes. I know it. And what's what's even And that's an excellent point. Because we live in a in a time in our community, we live in a time in a world where we know everything about everyone. We compare ourselves to everyone, everyone on Facebook, everyone on, on LinkedIn, everyone on TV, we didn't have that issue a hundred years ago. Where we didn't even know what was going on five miles away, so we didn't have that struggle with comparison. Okay. Now, two things real quick. I will be available in the fellowship room after services if you want to continue the conversation. We're near the end. I do want to read. Look at Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter twenty-one. Revelation chapter twenty-one. And we're going to close out here. And I do have one more announcement as we're turning there. And that is uh, on Thursday, this Thursday, 2 o'clock, I have tickets available to the Kansas Symphony Orchestra for the Holiday Pops that Edward Jones we put on. We've got like eight day tickets. So if you've got time and if you want to, you know, 
go out on a, on a date or with somebody and go to that, see me also in the fellowship hall afterwards. I'll, I'll give you the tickets. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with man, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. We are heading to a place where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, because everyone is just going to be nice. And we start that here, right? By just learning how to be nice, non-judgmental. We don't know everyone's full situation. But loving, kind, supportive. And when we won't have this pain and suffering anymore. That begins, again, helping us deal with the meantime moments. Let's bow for a prayer.